Uh, to be able to have one time a year where we can do that together with friends and family, uh, it's a very special day for us. And so we especially, if you're a visitor here today, we want to thank you for accepting the invitations that you received uh, over the past few weeks to come and to join us and to be a part of this day. I hope that uh, some of the things that uh, you hear today will be uplifting to you. Um, what we're trying to be about here at Carnes is we just want to be um, a church that reflects the light of Jesus in this community. Uh, we seek to follow the Bible in all things. We want to be a people of the book and be known as people of the book. Um, we're not perfect. We make mistakes, but uh, we have a loving Father who forgives us and gives us a second chance. And when we make our mistakes, we pick ourselves up, accept his forgiveness, and we try to do better. And uh, if there's anyone here today that maybe uh, that resonates with you and you'd like to know more about us, we would be more than happy uh, to talk to you more about the church here and the works in which we're engaged. The theme for today, as you can see on the uh, screen behind me, is treasure that is greater than gold. Uh, some things can't be bought with money. We've, we've heard statements like that. Some things are more valuable than money. Money's valuable, and we can do a lot of good things with money, but there are some things that are, well, so far surpass money. Money's temporal. It's here. We don't take it with us. We can lose it while we're here. It's so short-sighted, but there are things that are greater than money, more valuable than money, and will last throughout eternity. And that's what we're talking about today. We want to talk about some things that are greater than gold and greater than treasure. Uh, in the Bible class, we, we talked about the fact that God is a God who listens. God, the God of heaven, the God who made all of this, he, he listens to me. He's not bothered by my petty thoughts and needs, but he really, I, I really have his ear. What would you trade that for? Um, this lesson is about a God who runs. And I'll explain that as we get a little bit further. But um, let me introduce this lesson by taking you back to Proverbs chapter 2. There's a passage in, in Proverbs where um, Solomon said, you know, we ought to seek after God like we would seek after buried treasure. I, I've said this to the folks here at, uh, that are members here before, but when I was a child, I used to have those daydreams. Did you ever do that? Daydream about a pirate's chest, maybe being washed up somehow, and, and you find that, and you open it up, and all these coins, and boy, that was stuff of a kids' dreams. You know, we used to, we lived right on the Ohio River, and we would think, wonder if we could ever find something down on a riverbank. Um, never did. But, you know, if you knew that there was treasure, I mean, you had positive proof there's treasure in your backyard, how would you go about seeking it? You wouldn't get a shovel. You would get a backhoe. You know, you, you wouldn't waste time digging little holes all over the yard. You'd get some big machinery, get in there and get it because the value of it. Solomon said, I wish that you would seek the Lord like you seek buried treasure. Because there are some things that the Lord, Lord has in store for us that he is that is far greater than treasure. Um, 
in, 19, or in 2006, there was an 83-year-old woman living in Cleveland, Ohio. She had lived a frugal life all of her life. She didn't have much. She barely got by, and she had an apartment. And um, it, the bathroom in the apartment had gotten so bad that she finally decided, I've got to do something. So she hired a man to come in and re- renovate her bathroom. And when he uh, took the medicine cabinet off and he took the, the wall off behind the medicine cabinet, he noticed that there were two boxes that were suspended between the walls in metal boxes held up by wires. He took those boxes off and he opened them up. It was cash. Somebody years ago, before she had ever moved into the apartment, had hidden $186,000 worth of cash in her house. And it was there, hers, all the while. She didn't know it was there. She didn't know what was in her possession that could have done her so much good. But um, for so long, she, she didn't realize it. And I think that's kind of where we find ourselves as Christians sometimes. And people in the world don't know what they're missing out on if they're not a Christian. Because we have resources available to us beyond comprehension. We have treasure greater than gold that is ours because we belong to God. And um, I want us to talk about one of those treasures at this, uh, this time. And it's, it's the fact that God is a God who runs. Now, like I said, that may not make sense right at first, but let me, um, let me introduce the lesson to you this way. When we usually talk about running uh, in Scripture with reference to God, it's usually a man that's running. He's either running from God or to God. About, uh, if you'll advance one more slide, when I was, uh, our 25th wedding anniversary, usually that's a romantic thing, husbands and wives uh, do something together. My wife sent me to Israel for my 25th wedding anniversary. Uh, she didn't even go with me, she just sent me off. And uh, so I went to Israel, and uh, it was a great trip, and when we first got there, this is a picture. I always promised when I get back, one thing I will not do is I will not make anybody sit through slides and pictures of my my trip to Israel. But <clears throat> the day we got there, we arrived in Tel Aviv and we went to the city of Joppa. It was nighttime, and this is a picture of the first night there. Uh, this is the street uh, that goes down through the center of Joppa. If you go just to the left a little more, you... Right over the hill there is uh, the Mediterranean Sea. It's a seaside town. And we read about Joppa in the Bible on a number of occasions, but two that I thought of that night that, that just as I was walking down that street right there, and as our tour guide was telling us some things, it brought to memory two events that um, I thought were pretty significant. You see, in Joppa, in this city, of course, you know, it's not the same city, thousands, couple thousand years difference here, but um, same location. But in this city, several thousand years ago, there was a man by the name of Jonah. And Jonah was called by God to go to Nineveh and to preach. He said, the, the outcry of their wickedness has come up to me 
and I'm telling you, I can't put up with it. I can't endure it anymore. You need to go preach to them and tell them to repent. Jonah didn't want to go to Nineveh. Nineveh was the enemy of Israel, God's people, and I don't know what all was entailed in his uh, desiring not to go there, but uh, a part of it was probably, I don't like these people, and good enough for them. Uh, have, don't we have that attitude sometimes when somebody has done something wrong and, and punishment comes upon them? We have this mindset, good enough for them. You know, that, that's what they deserve. I think Jonah had a little bit of that attitude. And so he went to Joppa, this city, got on a ship, and went the exact opposite way, running from God. And, of course, God prepares the great fish. He gets swallowed, and he eventually comes around and does what God wants him to do. But when we talk about running and God, it's usually somebody running from God, like Jonah did here in Joppa. But the second thing is the Joppa I thought was significant because in Acts chapter 10, we read of Peter in the city of Joppa, and it's where he has that vision. That sheet is lowered down from heaven, and it has all these unclean animals on it. And the Lord says to him to eat, and he says, no, I'm a Jew. I would never eat that stuff. That, that would defile me. Three times that vision came down, and finally it dawned on him that God was wanting him to take the gospel to the Gentiles. And God had also at the same time sent somebody to meet him in Joppa and say, hey, there's there's a Gentile over here. We need you to come and to preach the gospel to him. Peter left Joppa to do the will of God. I thought it was interesting that in this city, you have two very prominent stories in the Bible, one running from God and one running to do the will of God from this same city. And we're faced with those decisions every day. Every day, whether you live in Carnes or in Knoxville or wherever you're from, you have a decision to make. What are you going to do on the streets of your city? Are you going to run from God? Are you going to run to God? But that's not what I'm really wanting to talk about this morning. That's what we usually talk about when we talk about God and running. This is not about what we do. This lesson is about what He does. If you have your Bible, open it to Luke chapter 15. In this passage, we read of the parable of uh, the prodigal son. We're familiar with the story, I'm sure. And uh, the story has different, you know, some parables are just meant to make one specific point. This one seems to have more than just that one point that can be made because we see several characters that are introduced into this story that Jesus tells. And the story is this. There's a young man, and uh, he wants to leave home. He wants his inheritance. And he goes to his father and says, Give me what's, what's due me. Give me what's coming to me. I want my inheritance. And uh, the father gives it to him. It's pretty amazing. Uh, the, the gumption, the gall of this young man. Just last night, my dad called me. He's almost 80. His next birthday, he'll be 80. And as we were talking on the phone, he began to tell me some financial matters. 
uh, you know, we've got money here, and we've got money here, and and uh, this thing, you know, I want you to know about that, and if something were ever to happen to your mother and me, this would be yours, and, and he was going through some of those conversations with me. I couldn't imagine ever saying to my dad, excuse me, dad, um, now, now that you brought that subject up, you mind if you go ahead and give me all that stuff right now? Can you imagine? Uh, nobody has the nerve to do that. But this young man did. He said, Dad, I want what's coming to me, and I want it now, and I'll see you later. And he left, and he went off into a far country, and he wasted everything his father left him. According to what the brother says, and I assume he's telling the truth, he wasted it in riotous living, in harlots, uh, and so here he is, he has nothing, all of his friends are gone, and so he decides, man, I'd even eat the stuff the pigs are eating. That's how bad off he was. And then the Bible says he came to himself. And that's really what happens to us when we leave God and we walk a path of sin. We're not in our right minds. Who in the right mind would give up heaven for a little bit of joy here and now that's only temporal? That's what ha- we get out of our mind. Well, he was out of his mind. But when he came to himself, he came back and he said, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to tell my dad I was wrong. I've sinned against heaven and earth. Uh, I, I've sinned against you. I, I, I'm not worthy to be called your son. Just let me come back and live as a servant in your house. So there's that angle of the story. There's the prodigal son who's learned a lesson. And maybe we're like him and you can identify with him. Maybe, maybe you have walked away from God and you're in a far off country and your, your life isn't at all what you want it to be. In fact, when you look and really in your quiet moments, you think, I really need to make some changes. This is not good. I, I need to come back. I will, but maybe you haven't yet. There's hope for you. This story will show us. So there's this prodigal son. But not only does Jesus introduce him into the story, but he introduces an older brother. This older brother, when he hears that his son has come home, his father has accepted him, oh, he's mad. Can't believe we're throwing a we're having a party, we're throwing a feast for him. Well, he's been unfaithful, he's been unruly, he's been wasting his substance on riotous living. You've never thrown me a party, I've never run away from home, I've never gotten treated like this. Why are you treating him so good and so being so gracious to him when I've been here with you the whole time and you've never done this for me? It's not a very pretty scene there either, is it? The one son has a lot of gall to go to his father and say, give me my inheritance before you're even dead. But the other son has a lot of gall in suggesting that he hasn't done anything wrong. You don't have to run off to a far country to sin. You can sin right at home. And there's no one that's perfect. And when he makes this defense and self-defense saying, I haven't done this and I haven't done that and I haven't behaved like it, well, maybe he hadn't behaved like him But is he sinless? Is he not also in need of his father's grace? Do you think that dad never looked at him and and thought, well, I wish he'd do better? Do you think the dad never was disappointed with him? Of course he was. 
So there's that lesson of having you know, a little too much pride, haughty, prideful attitude. Maybe that's where we are. Maybe we can see ourselves in this story and we can see people that, that are really messing up royally and we, we go, oh, how in the world? Who would ever do that? Well, we might. And the attitude that we have toward those who do indicates we're not right with God either. And then we're introduced into the third character of the story, and that's God himself, the Father. The Father is willing to forgive. The Father is gracious to this Son who comes home. I love that because I need that myself, and so do you. God is gracious. And it doesn't, it's not just the sins that, that are little piddling kind of sins as we consider them. Oh, it's not like I did this. It's the big things that God is able to forgive. This boy went out and blew his money on ungodly living, and that father welcomed him back. You can't outsin God's grace if you have a humble heart. Romans chapter 5, and you get to chapter 6, at the end of Romans chapter 5, where sin abounds. You know, let's say you're a really bad sinner, and your sins stack up this high. Most people only stack up this high. But yours, you're way up here. Where sin abounds, grace does more abound. Um, John chapter 1 and verse 16 says that God, concerning God's grace, it is grace upon grace that he gives us. It's accumulated grace. He piles it on, is the picture that we're given. So, God is a forgiving God. We can't ever, uh, if our heart is right, and if we come back to him and humble ourselves, we're never outside his reach, his willingness, his desire to forgive us. But even with that, That's still not the point that I want to bring out. Here's what I want you to see. Look at verse 20 in Luke chapter 15. And he arose and he came to his father. But when he was still a great way off, his father saw him, had compassion, and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. I can see this scenario playing out differently in a whole lot of homes. I mean, can't you put, put yourself on an old country farm somewhere where there's this long dirt road that leads up to the house and on the house is a front porch with rocking chairs on it and there's the, the old man of the house and he's sitting there on that porch and he's rocking and he, he sees down that road and it looks like it's his son and he looks closer and it is his son. Can you not hear him saying, Hey, honey, come out, take a look what's coming down the road. And as he gets closer, I can hear him saying something like, well, 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 look what the cat drug in. And this boy starts his, his you know, he had rehearsed it. He said, here's what I'm going to say. Look, verse 4, I will arise and go to my father, and I'll say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am not worthy to be called your son. Make me one of your hired servants. And as he starts through this, I have sinned against heaven and against you. And that father might have said, you sure have. What are you doing here? 
well, I've come back to ask that I might be received back. Oh, well, wait a second. How'd that go out there living the way you said you wanted to live? How'd that go for you? Well, it didn't go too well. So what are you doing here? What's here for you? I just want to come back and be a servant. Well, we'll have to think about that. Um, go back to town, find yourself a place to stay, get yourself cleaned up, you stink, and if we'll, we'll call on you, let you know what our decision is. Isn't that realistic? Couldn't that happen? I mean, I can see people having that kind of attitude and reaction to a son who has done what he's done and he's come home. I can see a person welling up and and getting that, you know, boy, you sinned against me and you're going to have to worm your way back to me. You're going to, I'm going to hold this over you. You don't see that. What you see is a God who runs. When he saw him afar off, His heart was touched. He had compassion, and he ran to his son, a God who runs. A number of years ago, we were in the city championship. It was the best, I think it was like three out of five. It was the first game of the World Series, or what we call the World Series. And I was up to bat, and it was the uh, fastest pitcher in the league is who we were playing against. And he threw one inside and caught me right there. I'll show you the scar if you're interested. <laughs> but um, it missed the helmet and hit me on my temple. Well, I guess I blacked out because um, when I kind of realized what was going on, uh, I had a coach beside me. My dad was on the other side of me, and... All these people were around, and so it was time. I, I, they, they were going to take me to the, the hospital. Well, my dad and my coach each had an arm, and we were walking out the left field, you know, past third base down the left field to go out of the fence there uh, to the cars parked out in the left field or beyond the left field fence. My mom was sitting in the bleachers on the first base side, Now, you need to understand my mom. I've never seen my mom in a pair of pants. My mom is dignified lady. You know, I I don't know how to say. I mean, she, I've never seen her in pants. She always has her purse and her high heels, you know, this kind of, and, and my mom, you know, her everyday clothes were what most people would say are church clothes. And so she's sitting in the bleachers, in her dress and purse and shoes. And I'll never forget, with my arms around my coach and my dad, walking through the... Here's my mom running around the outfield. She didn't cut through. She went all the way down the first baseline, around the outfield, in this dress. I was dying. I was like, oh, no. You know, I was so embarrassed. But I'll tell you what, looking back through the years, looking back at that event, that running said something. It it wasn't, those actions spoke. And what they spoke was that I had a mother who loved me, and she was concerned 
It spoke of urgency. I've got to get to my son. And it also spoke, I don't care what anybody else thinks. This is right, and I'm doing it. As that father ran to that son, I'm sure some of the same thoughts must have gone through his head. My dad is running to me. You don't run. Men don't run. It's a shameful thing. All these people watching my dad run down the road to to greet me. It didn't matter to that father. The urgency of it, the occasion, the event. This father ran to his son. And I want you to notice that even before he could get out his canned speech, Father, I have sinned against you, and you know, as he was going to rehearse that, before he could even say that, he fell on his neck and kissed him. This father loved his son enough to run in his direction. I wouldn't trade that for riches here on this earth. We serve a God who will run to us. A God that when we are so ashamed of ourselves, our behavior, our choices, we're embarrassed to be around others who know the things that I've done and we are humiliated by our foolishness, God will run to us anyway. That's amazing. I think of the Apostle Paul as he said in uh, Philippians <clears throat> chapter 3 and verse 12. Uh, on that occasion, he, it's that, that passage that says, I press on, I don't look back, I press on to the prize, the high calling of God. But he makes a comment in that passage. He says, I am pursuing Christ as he is pursuing me. You remember those scenes in movies, commercials, whatever. Maybe it's in a beach or it's on a, um, you know, some field with flowers and there's these two people that are in love and they throw their arms out and they're running toward each other, you know, and it'll take a picture of this one and then it'll take a picture of this one and they get closer. They're running to each other and then they meet in the middle and they hug and have this embrace and, and thing. I think of that every time I read that verse. You see, it would be a terrible thing to be in love with God and Him not be in love with you. Where you're always running after Him, but you never quite catch up to Him because He just stays at arm's distance. Maybe you've had someone in your life like that. You just thought you were so in love with this person, and no matter how hard you tried, they resisted your love. That's not the way it works with God. When you run toward God, He's going to run toward you. And if you're running toward each other, you're going to apprehend each other. It's not going to end in one of those misses or never being able to catch up. I think the love of God is expressed, and you you can do with this what you want, but I think it's interesting nonetheless. In Acts chapter 7, Stephen is being stoned to death, and he is about to die. And he looks up, and he sees Jesus standing on the right hand of the Father. I don't know of any other place in the Bible that refers to Jesus standing at the right hand of the Father. Now, I know a lot of verses that talk about him sitting at the right hand, but not standing. And I wonder, and again, it's just wonderings, 
But you know, if I were sitting down here on this pew and a child ran by me and tripped and fell, wouldn't you just have that urgency to jump up and to help or catch if, if you could? You wouldn't just sit back and watch a child fall when you could maybe do something. You, you would act. Jesus typically is pictured sitting at the right hand of the Father, but when his servant, Stephen, is about to lose his life as a martyr for his cause, when he gets a glimpse into heaven, Jesus is no longer sitting. He's standing. Could it indicate his love, his interest, his concern for the one who was being put to death at that moment? Whether it there's significance to it or not, I think application could be made. We serve a God who runs. And we need to give thanks that we serve a God who runs. Maybe some of you have... Well, have you ever heard that the, uh, the song, One, Two, Three, The Devil's After Me, Four, Five, Six, you know, that child song we sing, One, Two, Three, The Devil's After Me. After reading Luke 15, I wish somebody would come up with a song... Or at least a second verse that says, one, two, three, the Lord is after me. Because he is. He pursues us. He runs to us. And if we desire him, we'll find him. Maybe your life has been one that has taken you far away from home. It's time to come back. It's not going to be hard to come back either. Because you have a God who will make it easy for you to come back. He won't be sitting, rocking on that porch saying, well, 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 looky here. He'll be a God who meets you halfway. If you need to respond to the invitation this morning to come back to God, to to repent of your sins, um, to be more faithful, seek the prayers of your brethren to be more faithful. We'll pray with you to that end. And if you've never yet given your life to God, listen, I don't know what it is in the world that's kept you from being baptized into Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, being added to the the family of God. But whatever it is, it's not worth it. There's greater treasure than what you're living for. A God who runs that will save us for eternity. If you need to be baptized into Christ, we'll assist you in that this morning as well if you'll come as we stand together and sing.